Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and arachnatronics. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 340. Do not burn down your house or wherever you're listening to this. The spiders will not get you. What what about the spiders? Let's hear about. Let's jump right to that. We, okay. We've already we're we're that deep into it already. Okay. All right. So there was an article that we found that's kind of been making its rounds, I guess, in the engineering circles, and because um, I haven't really, I didn't see this in any other like social media like spheres. It's just like engineers like freaking out about this. I guess. Yeah, I saw it on Hackaday earlier today. Yeah. But that, I guess that fits in the engineering crew. Yeah. But um. It is a a paper about turning spiders into semi-organic robotic claw machines or claw devices. It is absolutely just complete fear-inducing nope. It is it is so much <laughs> nope. I'm not a fan of spiders. They've always been no. Um, so what what they did in in this paper, I think it was actually Rice University was here it? in Houston. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh, let me take a quick look at the uh, at the paper real quick or article. Basically yeah, Rice University graduates. Yeah. Mechanizing spiders. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. So um, what they're doing is they took a wolf spider, which is kind of like the common house spider, like they have down here in uh, in in Texas, and they put a needle into kind of like the because they don't their legs they don't move their bodies like we do with muscles. They kind of have like almost a somewhat of a hydraulic system where they use pressurized fluids and a valving system to like move all their legs i think most insects are that way actually but don't quote me on that i'm I'm an electrical engineer not a insect biologist well it's certainly spiders and that's the reason why when a spider dies all of its legs curl inward because the valves basically close yeah um oh okay okay that's why or like my most insects like that then um but anyways, they, they put this needle into that control sack that's inside the body of the spider. And then they use a little bit of super glue to make sure they don't like doesn't pop off. And then they use <laughs> a little bit of pressurized, <laughs> little pressurized air, which fills up the sack and then makes all the legs spread out. And then when you pull a little bit of vacuum, it draws all the legs back in. And so then you have basically a, a organic claw that you can control oh it's it's just yeah it's an absolute nightmare the pictures are are as bad as you think they are uh and 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 you know i haven't i haven't read the article enough but uh why (laughs) like why is this a thing is it sort of like a just because i i think it was maybe a kind of a little bit just because but i think the reasoning is to use because making little tiny mechanical grabbers and stuff, it's really hard to do. Mm. But if you let Mother Nature build them for you and you just 
commandeer the spider body uh, or hijack it or um, craft lab in, in chat says uh, it's not a zombie, but it's basically a zombie. You're, you're necromancing the body of a spider back to life to um, control it. I guess, I guess a zombie is kind of implying living dead though, not just using the corpse. <laughs> yeah, I, I would yeah. argue that I would argue that point. Yeah. A zombie is yeah. living dead. This is just a corpse moving around with like uh, assistance. Assistance, yeah. Is it, what, what's the movie? Weekends at Bernie's. <laughs> yeah, those movies are great. Although they're basically just holding him up. Yeah, yeah, but this, like, this would be like sticking them with like pipes and stuff and controlling all. Yeah, of I know, but it it didn't make him a, a zombie, right? Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. So um, some some of the numbers here in this Hackaday article. Uh, they're, they're saying that the spider bodies were reliably able to lift 130% of their own body weight. Um, and then they also, well, first of all, they call them necrobotic grippers. And uh, they have a usable like service life of a thousand cycles. A thousand? A, oh, okay. A, a thousand. Yeah, I guess a thousand like legs open, legs closed cycles. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and actually, how long is i guess how fresh was the spider was it like freshly dead or is it just <laughs> sweep it up off the ground oh we found another one stick it to the to the claw <laughs> um and uh, so the one of the examples they have is it like plucking a resistor out of a breadboard and so i made the joke of like when are we going to get this as like an accessory like an add-on for our pick and place machines but just like I'm just trying to think of like how would that work? Like, would they just supply us like a couple needles and some super glue and then like a box of spiders and you have to go and like stab the spider like living spider and like attach it to your machine? Mm. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But they're actually saying that the uh the Cycles is not because of anything you think. It's like dehydration of the joints failing. So if you put a little bit of moisture in that air that yeah. you're blowing in, you probably yeah, get a lot more You have more to moisturize your like crazy bio gripper. Or what do they call yeah. it? Uh, necrobotic gripper. Necrobotics. Uh, yeah, think think about that like as a as a preventative maintenance. Uh, engineer, you have to go and like get out like the bio butter and and go uh, bio butter <laughs> and go massage your spider arms. <laughs> but then you like you know like you you have like all your replacement parts that were out, and then there's a spider farm. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Eventually, eventually, like most of our mechanics are just going to be weird insects that you have to grow at your facility, and then just replace them yeah we think that's weird but I, I could actually see that happening in some regards in some cases like i think um we had a podcast oh, how long this is like probably in the hundreds um we had craft lab on the podcast to talk about uh the atomic loofah the, the atomic loofah episode where like you could if you could change some of the genes in like a melon 
it could grow a loofah inside of it. It's basically the gist of it, right? Like, you can just change the genes to make different things, you know, put, get put together inside of a, a, a plant. Um, it's kind of the same idea. There's a, uh, a linked some... article. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Well, uh, there, there's a linked article in this Hackaday uh, thing about the spiders to actually a, a different article about mind controlling cockroaches with uh, some electrodes. Uh, now I haven't I haven't read too much about it, but just just the uh, just the idea here is like, why do we have to pick spiders and cockroaches? Couldn't we pick something a little bit nicer? I think part of that is if it's an animal you don't like, you probably wouldn't mind it being tested on. Yeah, I suppose. Um, I think that I sw- this might have been something we made up on the podcast or might have been actually something we covered. But the mind-controlling cockroaches thing, I think that was a product you could buy. Oh, really? Yeah, that well, you could, like, control... Co- Maybe it was a Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear I remember this, where, like, you could, like, remote control with a Bluetooth module of cockroaches? Oh, no. Looks like in this, they were able to coerce a cockroach to follow a line that was drawn on the ground. Uh, so somehow, using some electrodes, they could tell the cockroach, you know, turn left, turn right, with some accuracy. It wasn't, like, perfect. So your own Bluetooth cockroach, that, I don't know, something sounds fantastical about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Robo Roach Bundle. <laughs> this was a real thing? And we yeah, talked the about back, it? I don't remember it. I don't think we talked about this. Uh, oh, okay. We might have. But yeah, um, the Robo Roach Backpack. And you can control it with your phone. I've got to look this up. Oh, my hey, God. Who's going to give me $160 to try this out? Oh my gosh! No, you're right. This is like a this is like a little board that gets glued to the back of a cockroach. <laughs> I love this. Please note: requires at least one cockroach. <laughs> oh, why? Why? Also, how? How do you like connect all the electrodes? Hot glue, it looks like. But how do you know where they go? Oh no. The PCBs red. Did Macrofab make these? Did they? I don't know. The Robo Roach ethics statement. Eh, it's a cockroach. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is incredible. I was not aware of this. I, re- I do remember this for some reason. Why do I remember this? I think we talked about it once. Maybe, Maybe mentioned we, it. How how long ago was it? Uh, how long has it been out? Oh, I mean, it's it's saying from 2013, so that was before the podcast. Okay. Yeah, okay. So if we talked about it, it was probably a long time ago. Yeah, they called it an electronic backpack. Uh, I might have to try to get one of these sometime. <laughs> you know, there's... I haven't... I've been up here in Colorado for a little bit over four years. I've seen zero cockroaches. So 
wouldn't wouldn't be good. I good for me. I, I just love how like there's a app because there has to be an app to control your cockroach right with your phone. But the fact that there's a like, disconnect button and then <laughs> settings. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh I need to watch a video on it because I want to see how good it is um, I, uh, Craft Lab statement in chat is great uh, this could I don't, I'm not sure if this is good or bad for right to repair um, and also follow up this could help companies stop self repair if the insides are super gross would you even want to fix it Oh my gosh, wait, wait. Uh, under product details here, it says, um, wait, let me, wait, wait, wait hang on. Um, okay, so to, uh, you would, following is a brief surgery you perform on the cockroach to attach the silver electrodes to the antennae. You can attach the backpack to the roach and control its move, movement for a few minutes before the cockroach adapts adapts what that i guess like it it, it, it starts like it's like oh I, I i've figured out you're controlling me probably yeah actually probably yeah like or you're probably stimuli like like applying stimulus to certain parts of its head the antenna yeah. and yeah and it probably tune eventually tunes it out Oh, it becomes it, that becomes like a normal part of the environment, so it, it ignores yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. I I I heard um, gosh, back in a psychology class I took back in college, uh, seven minutes is the magic number for for human beings. It takes seven minutes for you to forget that your environment has changed. So like, if if say like your dog comes and sits on your lap in the couch mm -hmm. you feel the dog on your lap but after seven minutes your brain is like that dog is now part of me and it forgets you forget <laughs> that the dog the environment is, yeah but if the dog moves yeah. it your environment changed uh but mm. well yeah like if if or like you know if if you do anything long like let's say you're you're sleeping next to someone in bed and you're you're you know your backs are touching or something like that you'll forget after seven minutes your brain just just like this is now normal interesting Wow, we uh, we went all over the place on that one there. So yeah, spiders are hydraulic animals, and people are now making crane games effectively out of them. Yeah, effectively out of them. <laughs> that is creepy. All right, um, don't really have an update for Project Snacky this week. Um, just kind of finalizing the code and making sure stuff is working, and basically spent the last couple of days securing a trailer to transit snacky on. And um, so basically, yeah. See you at DEFCON 30 with snacky. Well, it's going to be in the, Oh, it's going to be in the challenge done, right? area. It's effectively done. It just has some yeah. code. We want to like improve upon the MVPs are there. Yes. The minimal viable. Oh, I, I saw something about that. Um, is, uh, because MVP minimal viable product is like a big thing in like the startup world. But uh, I was looking at some comments about people. I can't remember what thread it was either. Cause it wasn't about like MVPs. It was about something else and like startup culture and that kind of stuff. And 
a uh, a company has moved off of MVPs, minimal viable products, and moved to MLPs, minimal lovable products. Oh, What's the minimal amount <laughs> that you would? Because it means it, it makes more of it. Like you, it is not minimal. Is not a thing anymore. Um, or minimal viable. It's what's the minimal you have to be so you love to work on that project or product. Mm. A little bit different way of thinking about it. And actually sets well, like an internal features, as opposed to external way of thinking. Yeah, for it. sure. Yeah. Um, like what, what feature in that regard, what features would you rather love it to have versus what the viable to be a commercial product? Well, uh, Typically, I love working on my projects when they work, when I don't have to, <laughs> when I don't have to make them work. Yeah, like when I design it and I get the board and it fires up, and uh, I don't know what kind of. Let's see here, what what kind of things would it need in order for me to love to work on? I, okay, I love the mixture. I love mixed signal, analog, digital, and having them work together. And I've always found that to be super fun. So if a project, like if a project is a strictly analog, I'm, I, you know, a lot of people know I'm, I'm, I'm an analog guy. It's fun and all, but like it's sort of a lot of the luster dies away as soon as uh, like it's done. It's just done. That's how analog is. But with digital, there's something really fun about being able to modify things on the fly upload your code and see the change. And when you get to mix like the, the unique world of analog and digital, like those, that's the kind of stuff that gets me like that'll, that'll turn an MVP into an MLP. Yeah. The, I just came up with an example of what the difference would be like MV. Like, let's say you're making a, a, a widget that makes a noise, uh, or like modifies the noise. Like let's just say it's it's mixed noise. So you like okay, MVP minimal viable product like uh, specification would be like it has to make a frequency between a hundred hertz and then three thousand kilo uh, three thousand hertz three kilohertz. Okay, whereas like an MLP would be like it has to make a noise that goes woo. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but but you uh, it. But at the same time, you get to be a little bit creative on how it does the woo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think that would, that would honestly, if you allow, if you allow your employees a little bit of creativity in the work, I think you get a ton more out of them as opposed to like strictly like the MVP list is just like execute these things. Yeah. Checkbox. Yeah. Although some people are afraid of creativity. I think there's a good mix between it because frankly, okay. So the, the job I've been working has been extremely creative uh, in terms of every solution tends to have a very creative or every problem has, it tends to have a very creative solution. Even the, the problems themselves can be creative in a way. Yeah. And, and I'm, <laughs> I'm honestly, I'm craving um, a little bit of more rigidity. I, I, in some ways, like it's fun to be creative all the time, but it's also to, sometimes it's fun to just be like design a filter with these characteristics, and like you know when so you're, you're kind of having uh, <laughs> you're kind of have uh, what is it choice fatigue? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Or design or design fatigue, maybe. Yeah, Where you uh, just I bombard it 
since you don't have a constraint, you just go all over the map. Exactly. And you, and, and it's harder when you don't have as much of a goal in terms of you could design something to be flawless on paper or flawless execution, but if somebody doesn't like it, who cares? Right. Mm-hmm. Like literally like the, the, the goal at the end of the day is someone has to be like, that's cool. I'll buy it. I like that. I'll buy it. And, and like, we don't get any points in my industry for like how precision you are. Yeah. We get, you, you get points if somebody likes it and buys it. And, and that is, that can be exhausting because you overthink a lot of things. Yeah. The whole, no one's buying on the spec sheet. No, no. So it's a different kind of design criteria for sure. Yeah. Well, and spiders and cockroaches are, are not on our spec sheet. I can, I can tell you that right now. <laughs> not yet, at least. Not yet. Yeah. That's, that's for the future. What if, what if you genetically modified crickets to, oh, to control vibrate? their, their, their frequencies? Yeah, control their frequency and use that as an oscillator in one of your pedals. How crazy. I could totally see somebody having a keyboard where there's a cricket per key, just like in a big long line, and they're all just tuned. Yeah, and so when you press a key, it like like shocks the cricket. <laughs> or no, I'm sorry, not shocks. It electrically stimulates the cricket. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's a more PC way of putting it, right? <laughs> electrically it coerces the <laughs> coerces. that's i think that's worse <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh but i'm i'm not I, I would love to hear a really low frequency cricket or maybe you just get like a giant cricket yeah just a big cricket just a huge one with like a foot long wings <laughs> to make yeah, yeah, yeah. 30 hertz or whatever <laughs> hmm Oh, this is awesome. This is such a cool idea. <laughs> what 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 was it in the um gosh, uh necrobiotic synthesizers? Yeah. Yeah, that's I don't know. <laughs> that's I think it's the title much. of this podcast. Yeah, necrobi okay, I'll, yeah, let me put that down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got it. <laughs> But then, like, think about having, uh, oh, Craft Love's got one, frogs, and you call it the croaker. Oh, you just have different, no, 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 You just, that's it. You just have different animals for different frequency ranges. So, you know, your crickets are going to be a little bit higher, but your big bullfrogs are going to be your base. <laughs> down <beneath>. Your base. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was thinking that actually just use them as a component. Instead of like them actually making the noise, like you can use them as oscillators. Yeah. I wonder how I'm sure somebody out there has written a paper on on like how uh not pure, but but uh how in tune crickets are. Like when they produce a tone, it's, do they always produce the same tone kind of thing? It's they're very temperature dependent. <laughs> It's like the worst. It's like the worst thing ever for an oscillator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, extremely temperature dependent. Yeah, like it's actually so dependent on te- like you can calculate the temperature based on the frequency of the cricket. Mm. Yeah, I remember those nights in Boy Scouts sleeping out in Texas, 
and it's just you, you can barely sleep because it's so loud. How loud is that? How many insects are out there uh, Twitter painting? Just going nuts. Yeah, and you're sitting inside your tent. It's 98 degrees, <laughs> and you're trying to sleep. Oh, it's brutal. <laughs> um, so this is probably stuff that we don't want to learn about, though, right? Or do you want yeah, to become I'm a necrobotic engineer? Yeah, I think I'll You know what? If that. I could take a class on that, I probably would. On necrobotics? It, yeah, I I would watch some YouTube videos on it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't want to be like in the proximity of like actually having to like 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 Cricket Lab or Cockroach Lab. Like no, Cricket <laughs> Cricket Lab wouldn't be bad. Yeah, Cricket Lab. Okay, C- Cricket Lab not that bad. But like yeah, uh, spider, spider hydraulics. Lab. No, thank you. Spider hydraulics. Can you imagine instead of taking statics, you got to take spider hydraulics or spider fluid dynamics? Oh, what do we? <laughs> fluid dynamics. <laughs> uh, I, 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 how do you con- how do you combine the words arachnid and hydraulics? Ar- Arachnidraulics. It's like nope, yeah. nope. There's so much nope in that. <laughs> and uh, were, were they actually when they were? Uh, they they put the syringe. Was it air that they put on it for pressure, or yeah. was it a fluid? I'm pretty sure it's air. So it's a mixture of hydraulics and pneumatics. Well, I mean, air is just a gaseous fluid. <laughs> okay, I love it. That's that's great. I wonder how how spongy it is uh and in other words like when the uh when they grip things with the spiders could they do it like gracefully and and really like i guess depending on the pressure yeah Yeah, how much give is in the spider's legs yeah which pneumatics would allow you more give too because yeah because it would be a little bit like i said spongy yeah um so Instead of uh, arachnitronic, Stephen, what do you want to actually learn about? Like that segue, this next topic? That that was so smooth. <laughs> <laughs> That's 340 episodes smooth. Uh, so, so, okay, so what, uh, yeah, we, we put a, a topic up here about, you know, things that you'd like to learn about. Um, and and we, we both have a few topics on there. Something, I've actually mentioned this a handful of times in the past. I just haven't done it. And one of the reasons I haven't done this is because I just haven't had like a need to do it. But uh, I still think for my career, but also just generally for overall knowledge, I would love to start getting into FPGA design and uh, and really just like... The thing about FPGAs, like I have like an, uh, like just like a general understanding of it. The part that I have a lot of trouble connecting in my mind is like, why do I need an FPGA? Like, what does an FPGA do that I can't do with something else? And I understand that like the Venn diagram of like processor versus FPGA, a lot of times the Venn diagram is really heavily overlapped. Or not uh, overlapped though. Well, there's portions that they're not overlapped, of yeah. course. And, and I guess for for me, like, I if, if what would I, I guess the point that I'm getting at here is if I was given if I was assigned a project, 
what would I need to know to be able to say like, oh, this is a project that needs an FPGA? That's that's the part that I have trouble with. Like, where do I get to that? Yeah. And so like learning about FPGAs would be uh, helpful for that. Yeah, I would not, say not just helpful. That, that, that actually is a big problem with the uh, FPGAs is because um, they're the, the the reason why you have this problem is the costs. If FPGAs were the same price as a microcontroller, then you can easily say either you can pick either one. Really, it's just different mm. implementations of how you write the code. Like one is you're actually writing the hardware to make the code work, and then some are is for is you know you're writing firmware. But that's not the case. FPGAs are are orders of magnitude more expensive than my, a microcontroller for the same kind of capabilities you're looking at. Mm. Um, and actually, I would say microcontrollers are light years ahead in terms of like the peripherals that are built into it. Um, you kind of have to like roll your own peripherals and then like, oh, you need an analog input. Well, you need your own chip now for that. Whereas a lot of microcontrollers, you know, have at least like zero volt to whatever the rail the microcontroller is as an analog input that you can, you know, sample. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. With FPGAs, a lot of times you're you're limited to, or not limited to, you're forced to rely entirely on, on uh, external ICs to do all of your communication with the world or all of your connect- connectivity to the world. So yeah, um, and and we the uh, gosh we had um, Al Williams on a long time ago to talk about FPGA, and I think there was an FPGA boot camp that, you know, at this point it's years old, but I'm sure it's still very valid. And and, I, and Parker gave me a an FPGA dev board that I have in the in my desk right next to me right now, and I just need to devote some time and like just dig through it. And, and, and you know, when I'm looking at Reddit and a handful of other forums, I see a lot of engineers complain about fpgas and say they're overused there's many situations that don't require an fpga but for whatever reason their company was like well but we need this custom fpga to accomplish this task and and i just i want to understand that better both sides yeah, of what, coin. i would say it's it's depend it's dependent on your processing time mm. because in a in a because most things I, I i do agree with a lot of these engineers is a lot of times you have the clock cycles to do processing in your microcontroller, like to get the input in, to do all your stack and RAM and all that management, do mm. service and interrupt, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not as quick. The thing is, nowadays, microcontrollers are so freaking fast and they're 32 yeah. bit and like the uh, arm, the arm stuff is so fast now that it's going to be fast enough, plenty fast. Now I could see if that is still not fast enough for you and you need gate level speeds. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, actual like just gate blinding level, fast gate level stuff. Then yes, I could see it. Or like you're just doing a simple transition. Um, like let's just say you're changing from um, like uh serial data to like LVDS or something like that. Like FPGs are really good for that because you're mm-hmm. just applying a logic change, this kind of stuff. Um, that's where you, that's where your difference is going to be. Yeah. Like, like uh, one application I've seen them used in, and it totally makes sense 
is front ends of oscilloscopes where you have an amazing A to D and you need something that just blazingly fast talks to that A to D and, and dumps everything to memory and handles all that speed. It doesn't need all the overhead of the stack inside the, the processor. FPGA is fantastic for that. I could totally yeah. understand that. But like that's that's one where it feels obvious. It's it's the other one, the other situations where it's like, okay, less than that. Where when I think I think that's obvious. it. I think that's kind of it at this point, though, because microcontrollers mm. have gotten so fast. And unless someone has a someone, someone's going to post on Twitter that of an example, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that is that example too. But <laughs> most of the example, it, it's that. It's yeah. Uh, it could be actually trying out new architectures. So if you, you've come up with a different uh, ALU design, rhythmic yeah. logic units, you can program it into a a, a, a FPGA to try it out. There's, right. there's that kind of stuff too. Um, but for actual product development, they're more R&D based than product development or product mm. it be put into products. Unless you have a very specific reason, like you're talking about like, going from an analog to a RAM buffer as fast as you can, FPGA would be great FPGA will kill that. Yeah. Yeah. How about security on FPGAs? Are FPGAs more inherently more secure? Maybe not inherently, but are they more secure because they're harder to back engineer? I don't, I don't think so. Cause a lot of them, at least the ones I've used have external EPROMs and yeah. they're like I square C. So you just like, you could just dump that, read it and sniff yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Now you kind of have to have like that FPGA to do anything with that, you know, code. But that's yeah, and I, I like suppose you could X-ray and and see how bits are set and how it's configured if you really wanted to, right? Maybe not no, X-ray. You could decap and figure it out. No, 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 no. I'm talking about you have to have like that particular skew of my of FPGA. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that code on. that's on that that EEPROM is going to be specific to that that chip mm-hmm. um same thing as like a microcontroller hex though it's like well that's compiled and for that that particular flavor of microcontroller yeah and so sometimes you can you know adjacent parts in that family will work but it's pretty much kind of set in stone you know how it's compiled and what registers it's going to use and what pins it's going to talk to mm-hmm. um Sure, you can decompile, but I want to bet you the decompiling for FPGA tool chains is not as robust as it is for microcontroller stuff. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, but that's one. If there's that's a will, one thing, there's a way. I've heard horror stories about FPGA development and the uh, software being uh, not it's particularly not friendly. No, it's not the best. Yeah, but hmm. microcontrollers are not the best either for that either. So they all have I think they're getting, I think they're getting better. They're getting better, but they're still not good. So, so what um, do you want to learn about Parker? Uh, can bus. Um, mm. kind of like, I mean, for the obvious reason, I do a lot of car stuff, but none of my cars actually use can bus. Um, but this is more of kind of like learning, uh, embedded level, like communication protocols. Um, so what I want to learn about CAN bus is like, how do you talk to it? Oh, just like, how does, how's CAN bus formatted? 
like how's it how's the addresses working um what are the right tools to use to actually like to um read all the data uh what's like how do you let's say you had a can bus device how would you even figure out to start talking to it right um because a lot of uh because the thing, great thing about like ice let's say you had a, a chip on your desk that's you know it's i square c well you could just like plug it into your board and you just slam the i square c bus and then you will eventually figure out what the address is like <laughs> Like I've written I square C scanners for like microcontrollers. So like I don't know what the address of this this chip is, and you can't find a data sheet. But I know it's I square C, so I'm just gonna like slam it until it hits. Yeah, do and you then get uh, so you get something, and then you can just start kind of like plucking at the at the interface until it starts responding and doing stuff. Um, or like how you like sniffing I square C, like, you know, putting your, your, your logic analyzer on it and decoding it. I'm going to assume there's stuff that's similar to that for Canvas. I haven't, uh, figured out what tools I need yet to do that. Um, I got to figure out how I'm going to learn more about that because I don't have any cars that I can just like plug in and be like, Oh, now I can see an, I, a Canvas stream. Like I have to figure that part out. It's like, Hey, Hey mom, can I borrow your, your really fancy car? to like hack on i don't think it's gonna fly <laughs> no probably not so we we have a uh, we neighbors. have some designs at work that use uh can bus uh which is which is super convenient uh so we we send analog data over can bus between uh units and um and and it's it's super convenient we have some stm processors that have built-in can bus uh uh, communication they still require CAN bus driver ICs external mm -hmm. uh, to handle the voltage translations but uh, I honestly that might be a good place to start is get an STM chip that has CAN bus on it I think the the F405 has a uh, CAN bus uh, mm -hmm. native to it and then just learn through that yeah because I'm sure but, there's um, plenty of uh, there's probably plenty of examples yeah, and I'm going to go, since I'll be at DEF CON, I'm going to be going to the uh, Car Hacker Village, and they have a whole bunch of stuff about CAN bus, and uh, hopefully I come back with, like, my brain full of CAN bus, and uh, it feels weird to buy a car just to learn more about CAN bus and, like, hack on it. <laughs> That's not your plan, is it? It could be, though. Depends on how, like, much I get into it. Yeah, uh, you should add Canbus to your old checker just because. Because, actually, so I was thinking about it about this because um, the the checker marathon project is going to be coming up soon ish. So I have a 1965 checker marathon that's just a rolling shell basically, um, and the engine I have a uh, like mid 80s or early 80s. Chevy 292 straight six engine that I'm going to like modernize. Um, so I'm going to run uh, uh, electronic fuel injection and all that good stuff on it, have computer controlled stuff on it. And I'm going to use a uh, open source project called Speedduino. And it's all open source, all the firmware is and the hardware. Um, and so I was going to use that project to kind of work on making the engine run and then i'm like well it'd be really nice to have a body control module or bcm um 
to control everything else, like your light, your all your lights, your your all the other motors and stuff in the car. Um, no one really makes a open source um, body control module at all. Like you look, like no one does. Um, and so I was thinking about basically designing my own, and then have it talk to Speedwino over Canvas. Um, and so that's kind of what spurred on like, oh, but I don't know anything about Canvas, and I'm like, well, let's start there. Let's start learning about Canvas, and then you can start talking about other talking to other modules. Because um, I bought a a uh, electronic. You hate these, by the way. Steven, I bought an electronic um, emergency brake module because that that broke on your on your wife's car. Yep. Yep. Like like I was complaining about earlier, or I guess it was before we were recording. I was complaining about, uh, you know, fancy extra crap on cars. It's just things to break. Yeah. Just like electronic. um, So I bought a so there's a couple companies out there that make like these brake modules because the reason why you don't want to use one because you have to have like a big old handle in your car to actuate like the emergency brake or or the parking brake i should say mm-hmm. and so you can just get a module that just fits underneath your car and then you have a little button and that's it um the there's a couple that deal with like hot rods and stuff but they want like 400 to 500 dollars for them and which is not that bad for probably a low volume product that's very niche. But mm. you can get like one that goes in like a C7 Corvette for like 60 bucks. And you're like, ah, oh, my car's got race car parts in it now. That's from a Corvette. <laughs> and uh, and they, they talk CAN bus though. And so it's like, well, it's, it's probably a good thing to start learning this stuff and figure out how to talk to. But that's the thing is like, do I go find a C7 Corvette after I learned about Canvas? Go find a C7 Corvette and then like, like, ask the owner, "Hey, can I like plug in this module to like sniff your the Canvas and then like actuate the parking brake a couple times so I can capture the data packets?" Um, or is there a way to be like, okay, you just like write a program that just starts blasting the Canvas and until the module responds? Like I square C, for example. I, you know, I can ask my firmware guy at work. I bet you he'd be able to answer that right away. Yeah, because um, I did try to like figure out like a data sheet for these modules. You can't find. It's like any other car OEM part. Like it's it's levels deep of uh of companies like different levels of companies and then you finally find the original manufacturer and you contact them and you're like hey i have one of these i want to figure out how to talk to it and they're like are you gonna buy like a hundred thousand of these and you're like no i'm some dude in a garage like at eh, click so nope nope um because i can get the module to by just like because the switch, the switch for the module for this emergency brake module is connected directly to the module itself, so you can you can actuate the parking brake, but you can't disengage it. That might be a safety feature or something. So Canbus has it's probably used to talk to it to disengage it. Um, so who knows? We'll hmm. figure it out. 
If not, it was only 60 bucks. So <laughs> I think I'll figure it out. I mean, hell, you, you're willing to spend more to control a cockroach, right? <laughs> yeah, it was like $160. <laughs> so uh, I, ran into, um, I ran into something the other day that um, another thing I, I'm, I'm interested in learning. Um, it's actually a module for Python called Manum, which is, I think it might also be M Anum, but uh, it's spelled M A N I M. If you've ever seen <clears throat> on YouTube, there's a channel three blue one Brown, which is basically a mathematics channel that it's, it's a fantastic, uh, God, the, the, the animations on this channel are, are fantastic. And it, uh, the, the guy who runs, I don't remember his name. But uh, does does beautiful animations and makes mathematics and higher level like pretty high level mathematics like really really fantastic. Well, Manum is a Python module that he uses for all of his videos, and I really think that there's some uh, there's some really cool applications that uh, I'd love to be able to have this under my belt. And you know, in terms of making videos for for things some things educational but also like even if you were to present something at work if you had like really beautiful animations with with this done up about some of the stuff you're working on i feel like that can just like that's like another level up in terms of presentation work so i'm i'm really curious about uh plugging into that because i had some ideas about some videos i wanted to do to demonstrate some of the things i was working on and i was like man i could like really crappily animate this myself but is there a better way and i was like how does three blue one brown do this because uh, his videos are so gorgeous and then i realized like his videos which totally like i love this because it's his whole youtube channel is all just like math videos he codes his entire videos his videos are just like played string together yeah code i was, I was actually animal. looking if you look up uh uh, Manum or M and I, I bet just like math animation is what that stands. Oh no, for. that's that's totally what it stands for. Yeah, um, I, there's a GitHub for it, and you can just get the code that runs his videos. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that's kind of cool. It's it's just yeah, and and utilizing it is incredibly simple. So if you need to make if you need to make plots that that show functions, but then modify the functions and show aspects about the functions, like Manum is absolutely the way to go. It, it just makes it makes visualizing all of these things incredibly simplistic and uh, and and just really gorgeous. So that's something uh, I've I've been looking into. I I really haven't spent a whole bunch of time on it, but like I said, there's so, there's some ideas and for the future, you know, like if you if you really want to do impress somebody with uh, with some demonstrations on things, like that is way better than say an Excel chart that you just slapped into a, a PowerPoint mm -hmm. slide somewhere. I, I, I'm going to put that on my list too. <laughs> it's, it's cool, isn't it? Yeah. It's I really cool. I watched one of the videos too. And I'm like, oh, this is cool looking. Yeah. If, and if you haven't seen three blue, one Brown, there are, uh, go to, go to his channel and watch some of the stuff. He, he does some things where it's like, you know, things you want to like, what are complex numbers, but like 
goes like way deep into it. And then like a whole series on partial differential equations. Uh, and, and like even one that came out months ago, um, I, I remember it's like, what, like, what is the average, what is it? The average area of a shadow if you take a cube in space and like move it around, what is the, sh- like the shadow is going to be different shapes, but mm-hmm. like, what's the average of that? It's like all tons of stuff. And he's really well animated and really well uh, scripted. Um, and, and, and just because the animations are so good, I was like, there has to be something behind this. And of course yeah. it's just all Python. <laughs> it's all Python. Yeah. Yeah. Python all the way down. Yeah. No, it's a good it's a lot- one. Um, the last thing on my list is uh, AWS web development. It's something I've always wanted to do. Because um, most of the scripts, I will say, actually, the, almost every single script I write is a desktop-style app, like using Tekinter, Python, um, to control like microcontrollers or like programming stuff or testing. Um, and then like I'm like, oh, I need this to like, run every... 30 minutes. Well, I have a little web server that it runs on and it just runs as a desktop app as a, with a cron job that kind of just like kicks it off on Linux. And I'm like, that's not the right way to do it yeah. uh, at all. And so I do want to learn AWS web development to kind of shore up that side of my programming knowledge for this kind of stuff and make it so that I'm like, oh, okay, now I need automation. Let's do it the right way now. Um, it might not be AWS, it might be Azure or whatever, but like that style of kicking up a server automatically and then having it manage, um, setting up its configurations and then running the scripts and then it shuts down because you don't need it anymore. And then in 30 minutes, it kicks back up and does it all over again. Like that whole style is its own like, I don't know. It's, it feels like I have to take like a whole class on that because I can't really find a. Maybe because I'm not searching enough, but I can't seem to find a good tutorial on that. Hmm. It's like black magic almost. So um, hopefully someone out there is like, follow. Here's a link. Go go down the rabbit hole for like a weekend. And I'll be like, come out the other side as a AWS pro. <laughs> I bet Probably you not, somebody though. has something on it. Yeah, has to be. Yeah. It's probably not as simple as like 10 pages on an Instructables and now you have an AWS web. <laughs> Instructables. <laughs> it, it depends though. Cause like I got a, um, an app that uses a webcam and this is a de- another desktop app I made to read. I'm using the Google vision API to read text. So I was using, um, Tesseract, which is like a um, AI model that you run on your computer locally, but it's not perfect. I did do like training and stuff for it, and it's still only like 99% as like good. Um, It still had some issues with it. Um, And I'm like, oh, I'll just try the Google Vision API because that seems to work pretty good on your phone, right? That thing is scary how good it, it I, it's like 99.9999% like accurate. Wow. Um, for at least in my application, like high contrast pictures. I'm, I'm parsing text out of, but, um, but can it, can it read comic sans? It can. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
it's frightening how good it is. And guess what? It is almost as fast. It's basically almost indistinguishably as fast as running Tesseract and like slow, like more precision mode mm-hmm. on your computer at home. And it's, That's it's, crazy. And it's sending an image. This is, of course, like on fiber internet, right? So at like speed of the internet doesn't matter. It's sending an image to Google, getting processed and the AI running on it. And then it, the answer comes back to me. And at the same nuts. time, Tesseract is running. It's, it's insane. You do have to pay for it, but I haven't in like incurred a single penny in charge yet. And like, cause I've only done like a couple hundred processes. Um, works really well. I, I would highly recommend if you, if anyone's interested in like doing vision, like, um, uh, computer vision, like try out the Google stuff. If it hits up your, your use cases, it's called Google vision API. Yeah. Google vision API. Um, pretty, pretty freaking sweet <laughs> cloud vision. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's just scary. It's I'll put it this way, Steven. So I'm reading text off of labels. Okay. And this is because let's say, let's say the barcode is damaged. So how do you reprint that label or get the data off of it? Well, usually it's a human readable. So it's like, you all get the human readable. Well, reading in a di- 12 digits, zero code really sucks for a human to do that. Cause there's going to be error and there's a lot of fatigue and it's slow. This is almost faster or faster than a barcode scanner when the barcode's readable. Wow. Yeah, now, and, the barcode, it's, and its error rate is virtually nothing. Well, the barcode is... I've never had a... a I bet you there is an error rate, but I've never had a barcode come back with the wrong data. Oh, I bet sure. you it happens. There has to be an no, error there rate. No, there has to be. 100% has to be. But... So like the Google one, sometimes it will return O's instead of zeros. And you're like, well, this is hex, so it can't be an O. So just change it to a zero. Hmm. And that's like the only weird thing I found. Wow. It's pretty much just as fast as barcode scanners. <laughs> that's creepy. Yeah, it is. And it's wow. inexpensive, at least in the small batches I was running. Yeah, so, it's, a, well, it's, a, thinking, it's a pay-to-play thing. Yeah, uh, I mean, when you make an account to use it, they give you like 500 bucks for free. And I still think I have like $499.99 or something like that. <laughs> um, so they're talking about um, doing tons of data. You Tons of data is what it's designed for. Um, I have thought about... Um, because right now, my what my application is, is you put the, the label underneath the webcam and then you press a button on the interface and it takes a picture, sends that off, gets it back. But it would be nice if you, the person could just like place it underneath the webcam and then it just finds it, right? Like it just runs all the time is what I'm saying. The problem is I don't know how like, like what happens if the operator just like leaves it on overnight. <laughs> and now you're just sending, you know, you know, 30 frames a second to Google <laughs> and then you rack up this huge bill. So I was thinking about changing that. We got way off topic. Um, Sounds like you just about, need exclusions, right? No. So what, what I was going to do is, well, because you got to 
got to send an image to Google to figure out if you have text on it, if you need to read it or not. Oh, well, I, I see. Yeah, yeah, using, you'd have to keep doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So what I was thinking about is actually using Tesseract to, to see if there is any text at all, even if it's wrong, but say, hey, if there's any text, then take a picture, send it to Google and get the answer, the real answer back. Yeah, Tesseract, the thing is, if it's wrong, it'll probably be wrong the same time, the same way every time. Yes. So you could do the exclusions with Tesseract and then send it to Google as like a verification. Verification, yeah. yeah. But you basically use Tesseract as, a, as the gate, right? Mm -hmm. So as long as the operator doesn't like leave a label underneath the webcam running overnight, then you're fine. Right. <laughs> right. That's cool. Yeah, that that's a bit, was a pretty cool project to do, um, but it took about an afternoon to get the vision stuff to work, and most of that was like jumping through, like getting the API crap to work, not like actually like sending and getting stuff back, but like the authentication because Google's authentication stuff is so obfuscate, like confusing, uh, terrible, like convoluted convoluted oh that's the right word for it it's awful um <laughs> whereas like i'm like i just want to like use an api key people i know that's not as secure but it's so much faster getting up and running and then we can make it secure later but I, the problem is that secure later never happens no so. exactly i was just about to say that it's like it's but, either now that, or never yeah it's either now or never so i understand why but at least they the problem is most of the tutorials because it's Google, so they change everything every six months of how like to do all your credentials. So trying to find like a recent tutorial, of, like how to walk you through making the credentials, because mm -hmm. there's like eight different things you have to make to use this key. Mm -hmm. oh, it's, it's frustrating. <laughs> but once it's running, it runs great. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Until six months from now, it breaks because they broke it for you. Oh, no, once you got the credentials running, it's fine. It's they change the interface to make the credentials like changes yeah. all the time. I think they try to make it better, but it just makes it more confusing because it breaks all the tutorials. <laughs> Where they just kept it how it's been for a couple of years. It might be the interface might be worse, but at least everyone would be like, yeah, just go to this one tutorial. It'll tell you how to make it all work. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <sighs> so. Let's wrap up the podcast. Yeah, I think <laughs> we've been going for about an hour now. It just seems it's natural. It's organic. It just happens like spiders. So that, so was, that the was the McAfee engineering podcast. <laughs> we were your host, Stephen Craig and Parker Dillman. Take it easy. Later, everyone. Thank you, yes you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, or something you want to learn about, or want to help Stephen and I learn about the things that we talked about, except except spiders. No one wants, no, no spiders. Tweet us at MacFab at Longhorn Engineer or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com, or check out our Slack channel. It's MacFab.com slash Slack. Uh, and we also live stream um, no spiders in the live stream as well. It's uh, twitch.tv slash macrofab every Tuesday at 6 o'clock Central Time.